Well, good morning. All right, so are we more Bengals fans today? Rams fans in the audience? Just glad Tom Brady's not playing? All right, all right. Well, we've all got our uh, Super Bowl wishes, I guess. So I ended up in this. This is totally has nothing to do with sermon. I'll just tell you, it's my fun thing I get to deal with today. So I'm in this you pick thing where you pick a winner. It's been a tie the whole way through between me and this other guy. So I had to pick the Super Bowl and pick the point spread. Without talking to each other, we both picked the Bengals. He picked 47 total points. I picked 48. So I just want a high-scoring game. That's all I care about. As you think about your life and reflect back, who would you say is one of your heroes? Who's someone who you strive to be like? Maybe somebody who stepped into your life and saved the day when you weren't sure you could keep going. We live in a society that's looking for heroes everywhere. We make athletes and politicians and actors heroes. We even pay thousands of dollars to go see fictitious characters, fictitious stories of normal people who underwent some genetic mutation to save the world that made them superhuman. We are people who crave something beyond ourselves. We need and we look for something that's bigger and better than us. It's actually even the whole premise for this sermon series is based off that. The greatest of all time. We need a greatest of all time because if you're the greatest, then you're the standard. Or you're something that I can strive for or look to achieve. I mean, when I think about my teenage years, I can't tell you how many times I got my basketball and I went out in my backyard in this little concrete pad and there was nobody else there, but there was an imaginary opponent behind me and I'd dribble that ball as I'd back them down and then you turn around and you shoot the turnaround fadeaway, tongue hanging out, just like Michael Jordan. And I'd do it over and over and over again and in my head I'd pretend that the clock was counting down, the game was on the line and it was me who got called to shoot the game winner. And maybe you make one or I'd make one and then I'd be like, can I do two in a row? Can I do three in a row? Can I do four in a row? You see, larger than life superstars and fictitious heroes are great fun to watch on the screen. They're fun to emulate. But when life falls apart, When life gets hard, I'm not sure that that kind of hero is really what we need or really does us any good whatsoever. I found this definition of a hero this week. A person noted for feats of courage or nobility of purpose, especially one who's risked or sacrificed his or her life. See, maybe some of the greatest heroes of all time aren't people who wanted to be heroes at all, but people who just kind of stepped up to do what needed to be done. I think about Oscar Schindler. He didn't want to be a hero. He wanted to run a successful business. He wanted to make money, and it was cheaper in that time to hire Jewish laborers to work in the factories. But in the midst of the rise of the Nazi regime, we see Schindler begin to do something heroic as he protects and fights to save so many Jewish lives from the Nazis. 
think of heroes like Rosa Parks, who at 42 years of age was just riding a bus on the way home and decided it was time to take a stand by sitting. It was time to do what was right. It was time to speak up. Think of Martin Luther King Jr., and maybe you've got so many more that you could add to that list of people who have done the hard thing. They weren't looking to start a revolution. They weren't looking to change the world. They were just looking to do the right thing, and they were in the right place. I think the pages of Scripture are full of heroes like these. And as we continue this series, looking at the greatest of all time and taking a look at Jesus through the book of Hebrews, I want to point out to you today one of those heroes from Scripture. So if you've got your Bible or your phone, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 3, where we're going to see one of the greatest Israelite heroes of all time. Um, if you're not, if you're in a paper Bible, it's towards the back. If you're on your phone, uh, Hebrews chapter 3, I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. Now, as we dive in, I won't claim like some did last week to be the greatest preacher. You know, that's kind of a bold statement. But Chase did do a great job setting up the audience and context for us in this letter. And just as a reminder, we believe that this letter is written to a group of Jewish believers. We don't actually know where they were located or what they were, but it seems from the tone of the letter that it was written to them because they were thinking about leaving the new faith, leaving this idea of following Jesus and going back to the pattern of Judaism. And the author sets out to show us that Jesus is superior and brings way more potential for them than what they did in the past. And so this morning, as we look at at Hebrews chapter three, we see Jesus is the hero we need every day. Listen for that as we read Hebrews three, starting in verse one. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declared to be God's messenger and high priest, for he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves far more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, Don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest." Let's pause right there for just a minute because this has a lot to tell us. And we're going to kind of look at this passage in two big chunks. We're going to take a look at the past and then at the, the end we'll take a look at how does this tie into our lives today. So as we read this passage, it seems pretty clear. Moses was a faithful servant 
leading unfaithful followers. Now, if you're here this morning and you're like, who's this Moses guy? You know, it's like my first time here. I barely know who Jesus is, but I know you guys talk about him a lot, but I have no clue who Moses is. Let me walk you back through the story of Moses and Ultimately, the story of Moses fills up a ton of the Old Testament because it happens, and that's a large part of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's all, Leviticus, that's all Moses, those four books. And then the rest of the Old Testament refers back to that. Remember when? Remember when? Remember when? So this character of Moses is really important for us to understand. And the story that the author of Hebrews is sharing with us would have been as familiar to his audience as the story of 9-11 would be to us today. When you think about 9-11, you immediately know where you were. You know what was happening. You could tell the story of what happened on that day. And for this audience, this story that the author is reflecting on, this concept, this large narrative of Moses would have been just as familiar to them. So Moses, God used Moses to lead his entire people through the desert, out of slavery, and ultimately right up to the edge of the promised land that he'd promised to give them. And God used Moses despite his past. So what I don't want you to think about as we talk about Moses is that Moses is some incredible character that we could never aspire to be. The truth is Moses had a past. Moses was born into slavery, and Pharaoh at that time was killing all of the Hebrew boys who were born in slavery. And so his mom puts him in a basket, shoves him down the river. Crazy. Moms, anybody going to do that with your baby today? Like, just go put him out in the Illinois River, let him float down. Probably not, right? But that's what his mom does. He gets picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Pharaoh's house. But something doesn't sit well with Moses. He's watching how the Egyptians are treating the Hebrew slaves. And one day he loses it and can't take it anymore. And he ends up killing an Egyptian soldier. And he flees into the desert. God used Moses despite his past. Don't miss that. We don't have to be perfect to be used by God. We don't have to have it all together to be used by God. God used Moses despite his physical limitations. As Moses flees in the desert, he's tending some sheep. He looks over and there's this bush on fire, but it's not really burning up. And so he's like, wait, what's going on over there? So he goes over, God speaks. If you know the story, God speaks, says, hey, I want you to go to Egypt. And Moses is like, not me, I have a stutter. I can't speak to Pharaoh. I stutter. Moses was looking at his physical limitations. God is looking at Moses and saying, you're the one I'm going to work through. God used Moses despite his lack of desire. Moses is like over and over and over and over again. He's like, no, God, not me. No, God, not me. No, God, not me. God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Moses uses God as his servant despite his lack of authority. When Moses shows up in Pharaoh's court, Pharaoh immediately has the authority, the option, and the power to end his life for what he's done. He's a fugitive on the run who's come back. And God used Moses despite his temper. Moses loses it a couple times with the Israelites. I think I would have lost it way earlier than Moses ever lost it, if we're just being honest. Maybe you would have lost it way earlier than Moses lost it. But like God says, hey, I need you to speak to the rock. Water's going to come out of it. Moses had it with the Israelites, so he takes his stick and smacks the rock. 
But Moses' status as a hero, I think, is only made greater by the difficulty of the people he led. You see, Moses was a faithful servant leading unfaithful followers. The author of Hebrews even warns the audience not to harden their hearts like the Israelites did as they followed Moses. What's he talking about? Well, the truth is we could go back through that Exodus story and we could pick out multiple places where the Israelites are like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I don't want to do what God did here. But I want to camp on where I think the author is taking us to. It's in Numbers chapter 13. The scripture's not going to be on the screen, so if you want to follow along your Bible, or your, you can, or I'll, I'm just going to kind of summarize the story anyway. But the Israelites had this uncanny ability to forget what God had done for them. They lacked the trust to believe that he would actually provide, and they were incredibly impatient. So in Numbers 13, they've come all the way. They've walked through the desert, out of Egypt. They've seen all the miracles of God, and they're on the edge of the promised land. And Moses says, that's the land that God has promised us, a land flowing with milk and honey, which is kind of a weird thing for us, right? Like, are there, I always wondered, are there like waterfalls of milk? Like, what? what? But it's, it means fertile. For them, this was going to be a land where they could raise their families, they could be free, they could experience what God had for them. And Moses says, before we go in, we need to send some spies in to see who's living in this land, right? And so they send in 12 spies. Ten come back, and they're like, uh, yeah, there's no way. The people who live there are giants. They're huge. They're warriors. There's no way we can take that land. This is crazy. And they begin to whine. We should just go back to slavery in Egypt. It was better there. And then Joshua and Caleb speak up. They're like, listen, guys, don't you remember all that God's done for us? The way we crossed the Red Sea, all the things that God's done as we walk through the desert, don't you remember these things? We can do this. Picking up the story in Numbers 14. Then the whole community began to weep aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt. Or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted against themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Let's choose a new leader and go back to slavery. We've come this far, like, I, I'm sorry, this is my interpretation of scripture. I think the Israelites sometimes in the Old Testament are like a three-year-old throwing a tantrum. I ain't getting my way. I want to go back. I don't want to share my toys. Right? Like, they're just, I'm like, seriously, you want to go back to slavery? And Joshua and Caleb speak, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then God shows up and speaks, right? And like, I don't, I don't want to be Old Testament characters, I think, sometimes. Like, God is frustrated with the Israelites. He's like, hey, Moses, come here. We need to talk. God, it's not me. I'm doing the best. It's them. Like, oh, man, we're going to chat. 
God speaks, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them, I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a, great, a nation greater and mightier than they are. And now you're like, wait a minute, did God just, just have a tantrum? Like, what happened here? God's frustrated with the Israelites, he's gonna kill them. And Moses does this thing that is this like incredible passage that we don't read very often because who reads numbers, right? Like it's not the most, it's not the book of the Bible you go to. But Moses objected. All right, now that takes some guts. Moses objects to God. He goes, what will the Egyptians think when they hear about it? They will know full well the power you displayed in rescuing your people from Egypt. Now, if you destroy them, the Egyptians will send a report to the inhabitants of this land who've already heard that you live among your people. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. For you said the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not excuse the guilty. God pleads, Moses pleads with God to show his love, to be patient and grace-filled with his people. And it seems like God changes his mind, right? This is a weird thing. We don't have a lot of time to dig into it, but the Lord then says, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will enter the land. So if you know the story, God's going to turn them around and they're going to wander for 40 years in the desert until that entire generation passes away. And then Joshua leads the next generation in. You see, this story is a reminder that God is just and God is holy, but God is loving and compassionate. Moses was not perfect as a leader, but he did the best to obey what God asked him to do. Yet when we take Moses, this hero, of the Old Testament, and we compare him to Jesus. We're comparing a servant. Moses just served in God's house. Jesus is the son in God's house. That's not even close. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying is, listen, this entire Old Testament, Moses served as a shadow of what would come after The Israelites and you and I need more than a servant. We need a hero to come and do what we can't do for ourselves. And Jesus is the hero we need every day. Because Jesus is the faithful son who equips faithful followers. Jesus is the faithful son who equips faithful followers. Moses was an incredible servant. He pointed the 